0: I'd like to acknowledge Australia's First Nation people as the traditional custodians of the land, and for this episode in particular, the cooler Nation. I pay my respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging.
1: Fitting the consumer need but being different enough that you stand on your you know your own as a distinct product and you know using the rye from the source that we use using the process there's no other whiskey on the planet that tastes like ours.
0: This is Over a Glass. I'm Shantae Whale. The Gospel is Australia's only dedicated rye whiskey distillery. It was the dream of founders Andrew Fitzgerald and Ben Bowles to bring the distinct Australian approach to a traditional American whiskey. Self-confessed fanatic Andrew joins me today. Hi, Andrew. Thanks for joining me.
1: G'day. Thanks for having me on.
0: Uh, it's wonderful to have you on. Look, I, I have to say, I'm not used to clicking on emails that say gospel in the title, but that was quickly followed up by rye whiskey and that really captured my attention. So, I click baited in and discovered your wonderful world. How did the gospel come about?
1: Yeah, well first of all it's a it's a prov- provocative name we're kind of aware of that because often often get get questions a, a about the name but um look the the creation of the distillery and and, and the business itself has been a i wouldn't say um yeah it, it's been a long-ish journey for ben and I so in 2015 we were sort of both working together as engineers and um kind of look to uh, do something else. Uh, And we are both distilling in my garage in Carlton. We had a sort of dodgy little setup there that we were sort of running. And uh, kind of evolved from that, We, we sort of, without... with very little research into how we might actually build a a spirits brand, we started, uh, we we, we jumped into building our first distillery in South Melbourne. And so, from that, over time, we we knew we needed to, you know, look at a whiskey at some stage because our first brand was Melbourne Moonshine, uh, making moonshine products because Ben actually was born and raised in South Carolina. So he definitely influenced uh, that side of our business. And uh, yeah, but we, we were looking at whiskey and then, um, you know, decided on rye. And uh, there's a long story as to how we sort of ended up focusing on rye. But uh, And then, uh, you know, the gospel name really came about, uh, f- you know, a, a couple things. Like we, ca- we first came up with a different name. Uh, called Asteri because we wanted to come up with something that reflected us as founders. And I'm an avid collector of records. I have been over my years and and, and vinyl records. And there used to be a pressing plant called Asta Records in in South Melbourne, or in Port Melbourne it actually was. And um, uh, that was defunct and we really liked sort of keying into that. But unfortunately, we couldn't get trademarked for it. So we're back to... To square one, and I just happened to be buying a lot of gospel records at that time. I was on tour with a with a US hip hop group called Black Alicious and uh, we're out collecting a lot of records. and Gospel was at the forefront, and that's where the name first came from uh, is uh, is gospel records, and, and, and that's that's how we got to where we are now.
0: Well, it certainly is evoking of. A passion project. When you think about gospel, I, I immediately think about incredibly passionate, soulful, joyous music. But you know that has a lot of a lot of depth to it, which is and that's that's good things to evoke when you're talking whiskey. But I'm interested because you you studied mechanical engineering, and I I, I can't help but love this little component that you have in when we were chatting uh, via email and you're saying that you were tinkering on the weekends, distilling, working on your cars, curing meats. It tends to be, you know, people like yourself that are highly capable of working in, in really big industries, but that what really just, you know, gets you going is, is curing meat or, or hanging out <laughs> with the tools on the weekend.
1: Yeah, it was kind of, uh, I mean, the, the the conversation that started me off distilling was really uh, Ben and I uh, were working together and I, I was, you know, I was talking about some of the things I was doing and, uh, you know, um, making, making my own small goods and things like that and, uh, you know, uh, Pickling and really into into that sort of thing, and I I shared with him. I said, yeah, I'd, I'd really like to distill my own whiskey, and it's at that stage. That ben broke out his his phone. You know, it would have been an iPhone one at that point, but uh, you know, showing me photos of his distilling rig back in South Carolina, where he grew up, and uh, and that really you know, it was like, oh, we have to do this, you know, let, let's, so we built our first still out uh, of bits and pieces I brought from Foots Footscray, uh, Chinatown markets. So, you know, we, we made it work and uh, I don't know, I think that's been a, a driving force, you know, uh, behind everything that, that we've focused on within the brand is to, and, and the business is to be sort of true to whatever we're passionate about. So, Rye whiskey, for instance, isn't the biggest whiskey market in Australia. It uh, would have been easier for us to, to do a single malt or something, but we weren't as passionate about single malt. We are really passionate about rye. Uh, it made sense to us, so we went down that path. Uh, and, and likewise, the, the branding, the bottle and everything like that, it's it's a real reflection of who we are, as uh, I guess, as people and what we're passionate about.
0: Well, I, I'm glad you have because rye whiskey, there's a lot of passionate people out there. I, for myself, love a good rye whiskey. Tell me about, was there a first moment that you ever, do you remember trying a rye whiskey that really had an impression on you?
1: Yeah. So, it's actually one of the defining po- uh, points in our history which uh, – made us decide to, to make a right. It's one of the, I, I call them sort of dots in a puzzle as to what formed the picture. Um, and I was introduced, so I was drinking Old Fashions and, and, and typically, particularly in Australia, you know, Old Fashions have been made with bourbon quite a bit. Um, but uh, I was at a bar called New Amsterdam, which unfortunately isn't, around anymore in, in Melbourne, and there was a bartender there called Sean, and he made me a rye old-fashioned, and from that point, I was, I was like, whoa, whoa. That, that's the only old-fashioned I'm having from here on out, is, is rye old-fashioned, so that was a trigger of, like, and that would have been a, a classic American rye, like a written house or something like that, but that triggered this enthusiasm to explore ryes, and... From that sort of went on this exploration through the U.S. to multiple distilleries and, and, and drinking a lot of rye whiskies, which we don't necessarily get here in Australia. And really, uh, the fondness grew from there. But that was, that was a trigger, that, uh, that rye old-fashioned in New Amsterdam.
0: Mm, sounds amazing. I, I want to talk a little bit about just how w- rye whiskey is made. Can you give us a little bit of breakdown of what makes rye whiskey rye as opposed to other whiskies?
1: Sure. Well, like like the definition of uh, of whiskey in Australia is quite broad, but uh, to to adopt, I guess. Uh International or, or what's commonly recognised forms of, of whiskey. whisky. So a single malt, a single malt, for instance, is typically malted barley. So um, uh, using barley as the base and then they malt it. A bourbon is, uh, you know, it needs to be made in America, but it is typically over fifty-one percent corn. And with rye whiskey, it's made with rye grain. So over fifty-one percent rye for, for the US definition. So. Uh, what we do is we take a, a, you know, us ourselves, we take an unmalted rye, we source it from a, a farm in the Mallee region of uh, Victoria and South Australia, uh, Murray Mallee, and it's a single family owned farm up, up there that we source the rye from, and then we, uh, we grind it, uh, we mash it, we ferment it like you would a beer, and then we, we double distill that uh, here in Melbourne. So it's a uh, really what, and then uh, and then it goes into barrels for about three years. Uh, our, uh, our straight rye does. So, what dis- distinctly characterises rye uh, whiskey is like like rye bread. It sort of has a slight spice, a grain character to it that's unlike, say, a wheat. Um, uh, it's quite a pronounced sort of rye and sort of spice, uh, but then we soften that spice with the sweetness of, of barrels. So I actually sort of say to people, it's a, it's a nice gateway between either if you're a single malt drinker and you don't like going to bourbons because they're too sweet, or if you're a bourbon drinker and you don't like going to single malts because they're, they're too savoury, rye really fits right in the middle across both those categories.
0: Yeah. You know, I think when you really look at the breakdown of kind say something like bourbon, you think, okay, it's made from 51% corn, you know, corn has a sweetness to it. And rye has this depth of flavor. If you've ever had rye bread, you know, it has like a little bit of sweetness, like you said, a touch of spice. It has this earthy character. And when you think about the raw product and what that can do to something like a whiskey, it makes a lot of sense why rye is quite distinct in its flavour profile.
1: Yes, yeah, it, it, it's quite a lingering uh, sort of flavour profile in the in the whiskey. So it sort of you know keeps rolling through on the palace once 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 consumed. So, and I think. Um, you know where rye really stands up, and, and the history behind rye whiskey is really it was one of the it was the first American whiskey that sort of happened. I mean, when the when the Irish and Scottish settlers sort of first uh, came across, and the, the history of whiskey is it's followed the Irish and the Scottish all around the world, by the way. But uh, the when they first settled in America, and they tried planting their barley fields up and around the Pennsylvania region those the barley just didn't grow because of the the, the snap freezes that they had in wintertime. So they started growing rye and uh, started making rye from it. So in all the early cocktail uh, books and things where cocktails will, will refer to, say, American whiskey, often they're actually talking about rye. So rye was actually the foundation of a lot of great uh, classic whiskey cocktails such as, you know, Manhattans and Old Fashions and things like that. So, And I think rye really stands up in those, those cocktails because it has such a pronounced character and a, and a lingering flavour uh, that comes from that grain.
0: And it makes sense why we can grow it. Too in Australia because of our, you know, we have harsh conditions. But rye is a hearty kind of grain. I want to get to how you make um, your your rye whiskey, but I first just want to hear a little bit about the story of your first ever whiskey that you made and filtering the mash by hand. I mean, what. What possessed you to do such a thing?
1: Yeah, so um, I mean, it's one of those things that we're, we, you know, we're, we're not, we're, we've never been backed by any major corporation, right? So you kind of uh, make things work, and uh, Ben and I have been quite sort of uh, handy, uh, just trying to figure things out. So our first whiskey, we just weren't set up to make make whiskey properly, uh, especially a whiskey which has. So single mulch is, is quite easy to lauter, like separate the, the grain from the, from the wash. But a grain whiskey, such as either a corn-based whiskey or a, a rye, is very hard, and, and, and rye in particular. So we had to build this, what we lovingly refer to as the chicken coop. We built this sort of wooden frame with a stainless steel mesh uh, uh, in it, and we had to sort of hand-filter uh, our wash to separate out that grain because if the grain goes into the still, it tends to scorch, and when it scorches, it gives this burnt character to the spirit, and uh, and we wanted to avoid that, so that's why we we're sort of hand filtering that sort of back then. It was kind of uh, it was out of necessity. I mean, our very first distillery was you know a Frankenstein of distilleries. It was sort of we we we. Uh, uh, Our chiller was a deep freezer that we got off of Gumtree and we actually lined it and uh, we pulled apart a split-system air conditioner and we submerged that in there to be our chiller. Our our fermenters were these rainwater tanks that were bought in from Cambodia. Uh, We, uh, you know, because they were stainless steel tanks and they did the job. uh, Our first mash vessel was was milk vats uh, and then we bought a second-hand mash vessel off of another Australian distillery called Starwood, which was beaten up and you know, uh, you know, sort of uh, bashed to within a, an inch of its life. So, you know, we very much have sort of we just piece things together as, as as we could. And and then when we, we could afford more, we'd, we'd buy a new piece of equipment. But that's, you know, that, that's, that's been our journey and why we did things the way we did.
0: I, I always think, you know, at the time, I imagine you're just doing, you know, your little project and, and it's developing and you probably won't think to take photos along the way. But I, I hope you do take some photos of, of where you've kind of started and where you're at now. <laughs>
1: Uh, yeah, I think some photographic evidence is not a good thing. Uh, some, some would be interesting, but uh, yeah, look, uh, there's—I mean, there's some photos of me taking tours uh, through our old distillery, and it's—it's uh, it's bizarre. Like, you know, I look at it and I go, "Oh, it's completely unsafe." You know, <laughs> like, you know, we we sort of ran out of space, so I uh, we just bought all this timber from down at Bunnings because that was close to us, and we just built a mezzanine, and I kept on saying to Ben, you know. If we actually think like the Japanese, they can fit a lot into small spaces in, in, in Tokyo. So let's just go up. We'll build we'll build up. So we build a mezzanine and then a mezzanine on top of a mezzanine, and then we and we're just stacking barrels up there and fermenters up there. And it was just uh, yeah, it was definitely a uh, a dodgy time. But it's good to, good to know we've actually come a long way. And we're sort of as we progress, we've designed our equipment better. We've fabricated a lot of our equipment ourselves and uh, it's 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 much more refined process now.
0: <laughs> Good to know. Good to know both work, health and safety but I have to say I still know a lot of wineries that operate and uh, they are not safe at all.
1: <laughs> no, I mean yeah, it's kind of it's the farmer attitude right? Like uh, I feel as though we're just an extension of, of, of farmers and the farmer attitude in, in a lot of ways and that is uh, let's just make it work right? Uh, whether it's fencing wire uh, tied around something or second head tanks or whatever as long as as long as the integrity of the product is there and that's that's what we focused on is like uh, how, how can we make the best best whiskey uh, not necessarily the prettiest equipment so yeah
0: and a bit of common sense too right about working around what you are you know if you if you've got a bit of common sense you think well you know don't climb up there you know on a ladder you know when you've had a couple of beers or whatever it may be, <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, that, that 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 has caught us out a couple of times, better and I. But yeah, I think the key to success is only do it if it's better or I. Like, don't don't get staff to do it. <laughs> so that, that, that's the key key thing there. You know, we we can sacrifice ourselves, but uh, yeah. I mean, uh, I, I I remember like at uh, one stage we, we had had we were stirring our mash vessel by by a paddle, and uh, you had to be sort of on top of you know, a platform on top of a milk crate uh, to try and make it work. So, yeah, that was that was definitely a dodgy period, but uh, we got there.
0: <laughs> I'm glad you survived. Tell me, you, you use a continuous still. Why the decision for that, knowing that a lot of whiskies are made pot stills or, or American distillers use that kind of hybrid pot column still? Why a why continuous still? <sighs>
1: Yeah, so I think I think again, going back to our first distillery and learning everything that we did, when we built our next distillery, we were very focused on making a distillery that was really uh, designed to maximise the, uh, I guess, character of our rye whiskey. So really we built a rye whiskey distillery. It can make other whiskeys and it does make other whiskeys but it's, it is it is a very lean machine when it comes to making rye so and it, it does a great job of it and a continuous column uh, is a great way because we do grain in fermentation so we ferment uh, on the grain so tip, typical most whiskey distilleries will mash and then they'll lauter. they'll take, it, take the, the wash off of the grain well we don't we leave the grain there right through the ferment and then into the distillation so The column distillation can handle that without causing that scorch that I talked about earlier. And, uh, and it's just a very efficient way to distill. I mean, we can sort of distill uh, in a day, you know, uh, about 30,000 litres of, of wash, which, um, you know, do that in a pot still. I'd need a 30,000-litre pot still, which is obscenely large. So um, that's, the, that's the one thing. And we use that just as our stripping still, and then we do finish in a pot. So we actually, you know, do it. So I guess, like, a lot of Australian distilleries who do double pot distillation are really, really, uh, replicating what the Scottish do, we kind of replicating more what what sort of some American distilleries do. Uh, that are specialists in, in rye whiskey. You know, you know Distilleries like Willet, they Willet, which is a great rye out of Kentucky. They they use a column as their stripping steel and a pot as their as their spirit steel and, that, and that's exactly what we do.
0: Cool, I love that. Now tell me a little bit about oak barrels because t- toasting and the char of oak. You, you, imparts huge amounts of flavor what's your decision on, on what barrels you're kind of using
1: yeah well I, I think like I think this is like it, it can be a trap for for a lot of uh, new distillers that they they don't tend to think of the spirit when they decide on the barrel. They sort of think of the market, and then they decide on the barrel. But we, we really thought about the spirit first and how it should, should uh, sort of be treated. And so, because we have a very like where we grow the rye uh, it's uh, it's in the mallee and it's it's distinctly small and almost, I'd, I'd call it almost a d- distressed grain it's very tight small grain which is quite pronounced in, in flavor so when we distill it, uh, it it's very cereal and grain forward so what we wanted to do is really balance out that grain character with like a, a lovely sweet uh, finish and because of that, New American oak casks were chosen and then we season those New American oak casks so that basically they, they, they fell the tree, they cut it into blanks and they let that uh, sit out in the, uh, the the open in, in, in Kentucky for a couple of years, uh, two to three years for all our barrels. And then we apply a very heavy toast because what we're trying to do with that toast is bring out those furfural's and those vanillin flavours and that sweet textures coming out of the, the oak. And the majority of our barrels get a very light char. So eighty uh, percent get a light char, and about twenty percent get a heavy char. And, and by doing this, we we really do balance out that g- dryness of, of the rye grain with the, the sweetness of the barrels. And uh, uh, we we do some project releases with other types of barrels and things like that. But uh, we believe uh, that that perfect mix of our spirits with the, those those sweeter barrels is, is, is you know, uh, the perfect landing spot.
0: Yeah, I suppose when you're having the separate, you know, different barrels with different toast and and kind of grain, then you really have more control over the kind of final product and, and, and what you want it to be, don't you?
1: Yeah, uh, we call it salt and pepper the blend, right? So if we if we sort of, uh, you know, you can get, say if we we're, we're doing a, a, a production run, or we're, we're about to bottle some of our straight rice. So, if that's 20 barrels, we select from the bond store and we pour them together for, for blending for the bottling. Of those 20 barrels, you can get some very, you know, depending on where they sat in the racks or, you know, in, in the bond store or depending on sort of even the cooperage has slight variation in in, in the oak. Um, depending on where they come from, you can get quite a varying sort of flavour profile from barrel to barrel. So uh, if we feel as though the blend is leaning too far one particular direction, having those different char profiles and, 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 toast profiles on it, uh, enables us to salt and pepper it to bring it back to a consistent product because our, our aim is to create a whiskey that you can buy today or buy it in 15 years time and it's a consistent sort of uh, character to it
0: yeah that makes a lot of sense you're about to release or you have just released the legacy rye tell me a little bit about what goes into the legacy rye and uh and how that uh, special release came about
1: yeah, so the Legacy Rye like is, so we try and release a couple of project releases a year, but the Legacy rely, Rye is probably one of the most exciting releases we've sort of put out, uh, for, you know, to date. It's what, What's particularly exciting about it is it's more leaning towards, so although rye whiskey is traditionally uh, a sort of a, an American-style whiskey, the way we've been producing it in our style of rye whiskey is actually distinctly not American in in my opinion. It it, it tastes quite different but the legacy is almost a tip of the cap of uh, the you know sort of uh, of that traditional Maryland or Kentucky style rye because it has corn in it. So it has a 35% corn addition 59% rye and the balance is malted barley. So what and it and it's put out at fifty six percent ABV, so it's it's uh, it carries that sweetness from the corn and this sort of uh, mellow creaminess coming from the malt barley, and it's really it's uh, uh, I mean I've just finished doing a day of trade tasting yesterday uh, to to a lot of uh, trade training in uh, in Melbourne, and uh, the response has been fantastic because it is a really something that. If somebody loves rye whiskey or loves American style whiskey, they're just going to go. Oh, these guys have nailed it because that—that's what we've done—is uh, really sort of uh, uh, you know uh, honoured that sort of tradition. And I'm also very excited because it's a grain bill I selected. So <laughs> you know, and in the distillery, there's three of us that talk about production. There's myself, there's Ben and Ian, who's our master distiller. And uh, you know, if one of us get to choose a grain bill on a project release, it's it's a nice thing. And, uh, and that that one was. Mine. So, I'm particularly keen on it. <laughs> <So>.
0: <laughs> particularly proud moment. I love that. You do have um, Australia's only master level distiller, Ian Thorne, on the project as well. Uh, he, the way that he came about and, and, and got involved is a fascinating story, but he obviously has a huge amount of, you know, knowledge base behind him. What's what, what's it like working with him? <sighs>
1: At times, scary uh, because, you know, I think something's relatively simple and he'll explain why it's not, so that's uh, that's a good thing. Uh, but, uh, yeah, look, I think we're, we're really honoured to have Ian part of our team. I mean, Ben and I ultimately, as passionate we are and, you know, we have quite a number of years of experience now, we're sort of backyard hacks for the best, you know, for lack of a better word. And Ian is one of the few in Australia that are truly professional at this. Uh, You know, he... (sighs) He's a lecturer at the Institute of Brewers and Distillers, uh, you know, so I see him lecturing people uh, on on Zoom sometimes at sort of 3am in the morning, he'll come into the office early just to just to host a, a, a lecture, and there'll be people on, people on there from places like Makers Mark and, uh, and some Scottish distilleries and things like that, and, and here he is sitting in a tin shed in, in Brunswick, which is quite amusing, but, uh, you know, so he's at that level. And he does go to the detail of really uh, refining process. So, you know, I was talking about those barrels, his system of barrel selection and those sorts of things really is, 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 is a lot more uh, detailed and uh, science-backed than, than what I think we would do. So, it's a continual learning process for me and, uh, and Ian's a, a great sort of uh, reference point for that learning.
0: It also says in his, his bio that he's learnt quite a bit from you guys as well and that you were working with, you know, a few different production methods that he wasn't familiar with with all of his, you know, global globe trotting and, and knowledge base. So it sounds like it's a pretty happy kind of three way relationship if I can use that terminology.
1: Yeah, I think I think so. Like uh, you know, I don't know how much he's learnt from us. I mean, he's probably you know, he's probably learnt some uh, some ways to jerry rig things. Uh, but uh, I-, I think Ian is he was mostly used to. The Scottish way, which is double pot distilling, and he's really learnt this sort of grain in fermentation from us, and the and the continuous column still for you know, process from us. But you know what he's learnt from us is probably five percent, and what we've learnt from him is uh, you know, f- far exceeds that. So, but it's been good. Yeah, we're we're liking and, and, and you know, one of these things that, uh, in regards to a business of our size, is what's important is everyone can rely on each other and everyone gets along. And I think I think we have that with our with our team. You know. You know, we have a, a great resource. We also have Ellie who works in our blending and R&D. She's really good. We have Ellen who works in production. So having two uh, females work in our production team is really, really beneficial. And then we have, a, you know, a, a small marketing team. So we all get along and it's a, it's a good team.
0: That's always wonderful to hear because that can be what makes or breaks a brand is uh, the people in it and how they operate together Uh, you know when you look at your website when you read about the product it it is very clear that you all are very passionate and that you are fanatics and you are total nerds when it comes to rye when you perhaps uh, somebody that's a single malt drinker or perhaps really likes bourbon like you said how do you explain how do you get them on board with rye you know without kind of scaring them off?
1: Well, I think I uh, first of all I start off here and explain that you know think about it where most people go on their when they drink coffee. On the coffee journey, right? So, you know, if you think about the first cup of coffee, it was probably laden with milk and about five sugars, right? And you sort of started di- dialing down to what what profile you liked, and and you became bolder, and you started to understand coffee and things like that. So, I encourage people to think about whiskey in the same way, as to really explore different types of whiskeys and start to dial down what they're what they're tasting and why they're tasting it, whether it's the grain or the barrel. in, in regards to people that really like single malt and have had a bad experience in say bourbon, I, I say to them, "Rye is the perfect uh, gateway towards that." Um, and and likewise with, with, with bourbon drinkers, I, it's an easier sell for me to talk to bourbon drinkers because they sort of feel more aligned with the, the American style, which which is rye. But uh, but look. You know, I have, have this towel. I just came back from the Toulouse Whiskey Festival in uh, in France. Uh, we, we had a stand there and, uh, you know, uh, the French are traditionally a single malt or blended malt market, not a big rye market. And the response was phenomenal. We sold out of all our whiskey. We, we did exceptionally well because people just uh, needed to be introduced to it to try it and then they, they were sold. So, you know, it's uh, that. You know, I think that's a, a Great example of if people are cautious of trying extra whiskies, you know, uh, or, or trying rye, look, just give it a give it a try and uh, go go to a bar. You don't have to commit to a, a bottle. Go to a bar, ask for a decent rye. Obviously, ask for the gospel, <laughs> and uh, and and then uh, you know, and and try and understand you know what you're tasting that rye character and that beautiful sweetness coming from the barrels, and and sort of be excited about exploring uh, whiskey.
0: Hmm. I suppose at the end of the day, it's all in the taste. And uh, I I mean, you know, you are now exported to 17 countries and you're one of the biggest selling and fastest selling whiskies uh, in Australia. And that's happened after three years. So I suppose, you know, that's all you really need to know, isn't it?
1: <laughs> yes uh yeah possibly uh, yeah <laughs> possibly i mean it, it it sounds a little braggadocious but uh yeah we are we we going really well and i think that uh, i think that's partly because uh you know in regards to product i always think about uh fitting the consumer need but being different enough that you stand on your you know your own as a distinct product and You know, using the rye from the source that we use, using the process, uh, uh, there's no other whiskey on the planet that tastes like That That's one thing. But fulfilling the consumer need of tasting like something they want uh, and uh, making some of the classic whiskey cocktails is a a key criteria. So, and I think we also do that. So, those two things uh, sort of support uh, our sort of uh, growth. And... Also, having an interesting brand and sort of trying to make our brand not just about whiskey, right? We we do a lot of other initiatives that support the community, and uh, we're just we're sort of, we celebrate fanatics of all types, not just fanatical people about rye, fanatics of all types. So these things, I think, add depth to our brand and add depth to to our story. So so I think they also help with our growth.
0: Talking about the community, you said that your proudest moment in the company so far was during the peak of COVID. Can you tell me a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. Look, I, you know, one of the proudest moments, I think, you know, when I think back to that time, to be honest, we only launched the gospel at the end of 2019 and actually our straight rye only hit the market at the end of February 2020. So the timing couldn't have been worse. We, we weren't – and how, how brands are typically built is you go on-premise first and you get bartenders on board and then you worry about bottle shops second. So we were in very few bottle shops um, and so we had very little rage again. and of course bars shut down. So at that time when it felt like the, 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 the sky was falling, um, you know, a lot of a lot of producers uh, of spirits turned to making sanitizer, and a lot of them were sort of t- selling that for sort of forty dollars a litre or, or something like that, and sort of you know posturing as if it was something for the community, but in truth, uh, it seemed sort of only a thin veneer to us. And for us, we produced a lot of sanitizer and really sold it for, for for very little profit. Like, you know, instead of $40 a litre, we sold it for $11 a litre. We gave thousands of litres away uh, to Western Health. Uh, we uh, donated any profit we made uh, to, you know, hospitality workers that were here in, in, in Melbourne that couldn't get visa support. They couldn't get support because they were on just sort of working holiday visas, so they couldn't get the government support. So, And I think that sort of, you know, Ben and I were looking at each other sort of saying, you know, this is going to sink our business. This is really going to cost us. And it it ended up not doing that. We survived. uh, But it was making the decision that was right for the community. And I think we continue to do that. We give away, you know percentage of our profit that comes through our online store, we give that away to charities we try and support the community of Pinaroo uh, with our annual show up there, we really do believe in in sort of you know, uh, supporting the community that either supplies our products of of rye, supplies our rye or consumes our our products of whiskey, so um, yeah, but that was definitely a proud moment because everything was on the line and I think we, we made the right moral decision
0: Mm. And the right decision at the right time, you know. Like I think, like you said, it's it was really a time of need, and it was a time to give, so that we could, you know, all kind of come together and and you know support each other. And I, I think that's amazing that you did that, and I think um, you know for the people that that touched, they all will you know forever be grateful, and and that comes full circle most of the time. It comes back around to remembering, you know, when they when bars reopened, and and uh, you know. What drinks they're going to be suggesting to their to their guests? So I think that's awesome and, and well done.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, it does come full circle in a sense, but uh, it, I think for the most part, it, it also lets our employees and our people know, uh, you know, what we put first. You know, uh, better and I stopped paying ourselves for, for the year of 2020, uh, essentially, to, to make sure that we could support the staff that we had on. Um, and, and, and just, you know, it's letting people know where you stand as, a, as an employer and, uh, and as a producer. So So, yeah, it was good.
0: Andrew, I'd love to know if you could only drink three drinks for the rest of your life. What would they be, and why?
1: Yeah, this is uh, this is interesting. Um, so, there would be a couple of cocktails and a beer in there. So, uh, so I drink a rye old fashioned uh, using the gospel straight rye, of course. Uh, you know that would be that would be in there. i would drink. Um, Surprisingly, a gin cocktail. i will drink her last word and I'd have that made with uh, a uh, poor Tom's uh, full strength gin out of Maryville and Sydney. Uh, I'd love their full strength gin for the for that. And the last look—I grew up in Adelaide, so you can never take this out of me. I would have the Cooper's Pale Ale as my beer, so you know, as unashamedly Adelaide that is, because uh, when you're born and raised on it, you can't escape it. So yeah, they're the sort of the that'd be the three drinks. And if uh, if I couldn't have the cocktails, it'd definitely be uh, a straight rye, and uh, you know, probably a uh, probably a wine of some description, and uh, and, and the beer. So
0: yeah. uh, Look, you'd be surprised how many people say Cooper's Green and it is that memory of taste that really digs deep at, at our nostalgia and and brings forth memory and I think that that's great. You know, I haven't had anyone say a last word yet and I'm a big fan, but I know it's a very divisive cocktail. I don't know if it's the chartreuse or the maraschino, but it tends to divide people, but I'm a big fan.
1: Who doesn't love a last word? I'm a big fan of a last word. It needs to be a juniper heavy gin in, the, in it, but uh, other than that, uh, yeah. Look, I uh, I definitely ordered a few last words in my day. So, yeah, that's a, it's, a, it's a great sort of – because I, I drink a lot of whiskey cocktails, so that is the great divide, the great sort of break in in that pattern is to, to have a last word. So, yeah, and Cooper's Pale I drank it at the Austral in, on Rundle Street in Adelaide, uh, which was one of the first pubs to have it on tap. So, it's definitely a fond memory type beer for me.
0: That's so. awesome. Look, I, I love that the chat we've had. I love the fact that, you know, that rye is you know a drink that can be standalone as a real sipping you know thoughtful drink but i love the fact that it adds so much to a cocktail as well it kind of gives people free range to try it however they want to drink it and it's been fantastic learning more about the gospel um i've definitely had a bit of a scripture today so thank you so much uh cheers to you
1: cheers thank you appreciate it
0: this is over a glass i'm shante whale